Welcome back. Another episode of Space in 60 with your amazing guests. No, amazing hosts. Sometimes they're guests. Chad Baker and Andrew Polipchuk. We're Hello. always a guest. Uh, no, no, I'm going to call it. We're hosts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I've got my mind on our, our guests so much today that I, I just can't think straight. I'm thrilled that we've got such an amazing guest coming on the show today. But also, we have a special guest host today, my daughter, Amelina, who was just so thrilled to hear about the guests that we're having today. She wanted to jump in and she knew our questions are, are junk, like me, Chad and Andrew. Like we can't think of the great questions, but the best questions sometimes come from kids. So yes, my nine year old daughter. We'll be moving to the guests and uh, she'll take <laughs> over as a true host. And <laughs> this yep. will be the Amelina show before you know it. She's, exactly. <laughs> she's amazing. Amelina, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hello. <laughs> So she's looking forward to coming on and asking questions of today's guest, but a special surprise um, on who we have on the show today. We've got astronaut Nicole Stott, um, and she's going to be coming on to talk about her book, Back to Earth, What Life in Space Taught Me About Our Home Planet and Our Mission to Protect It. Um, I read the book, listened to the book. It was amazing. Did you guys read it? Listen to it. It was Listen great. Listen to it. Yeah, she yeah. narrates it herself, which is pretty awesome. And there's there's so much in the book. It's going to be hard to to cut this one off and keep it to the hour. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I listen to so many books these days. I used to read so many books, but I think all of us that work in the new space community and and all businesses really, we're just so inundated with the need to use our time. And listening to audiobooks has really changed things and I loved listening to this book, uh, Back to Earth. Also have the the hard copy. Um, but what did you guys think when you read it? It was great. I mean, I the sense of accomplishment, the the things that astronauts go through. You know, the the book didn't wasn't exactly as I expected. I think we'll talk about that. We'll ask Nicole what what her thoughts were behind creating the book. But yeah, no, I I really enjoyed the the aspect of as she says, Back to Earth bringing it all back to what we do here every day. Yeah. And, and focusing in on that, you know, what they are doing does translate directly back down to the earth and what we need to do, you know, for our environment and ecosystem that we have here. Uh, so kind of taking the stories and then wrapping them back into our day-to-day -day lives and what, what affects us. I can't wait to ask her about what it's like working with so many nationalities on the International Space Station. I mean, there are a few countries that really put a lot of money into building it, but it's really a place where people from many different nationalities and countries that come to work on the space station. And in today's world, there are a lot of things that are happening internationally. We've recently seen the conflict in Ukraine with Russia and how the international community has rallied to really address that as a one, one world approach to, to peace. And the International Space Station has always really been a symbol of peace. So I can't wait to find out what it's been like to work with, with all of those people over the years. So without any further ado, wait, I see Andrew. He's moving his mouth, but I don't hear the words. Without further ado, here's without Nicole ado. <laughs> and Emelina. Nicole, author of Back to Earth, astronaut, entrepreneur, someone that many of us have looked up to for such a long time. Nicole, welcome. Nicole, it's great to have you on the show. And it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Nice to see you, Amelina. <laughs> it's nice to see you too. <laughs> and we have Andrew and Chad. Sometimes it's nice to see them. Yeah. Every <laughs> once in a while. It's nice to see all of you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We haven't talked too much yet, so don't, don't throw it out there. Oh, right. yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we're all so excited to, to have you on the show today, Nicole. Um, you can see on the bookshelf behind me, we've this way, we've got your book. We probably have purchased more copies of your book than any company out there. Um, we've purchased Yay. many copies, audio book, written copy, hard copy, 
Um, so we're we're big fans. Um, we followed you for a long time. Um, and thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. And thank you for buying books <laughs> yep. and reading them, I hope, or listening to them. Listening, yeah. listening. It's nice yeah. that you you did your own your own uh, voice. I was about to say that was yeah. uh, enjoyable. I'll tell you, that was, I always thought I wanted to do that too, right? And I'm so happy that I did. But that's that's an interesting process to go through. I don't know if any of you have done that, but it's, uh, you would think that just reading aloud would be straightforward and easy. I got three babies. I got three babies. I I read aloud all the time. Yeah. So, so we, you know, we thoroughly enjoyed your book. Um, I I will admit it isn't at all what I was expecting. I think that's one of the things that we as a group all felt the same that, wow, this was, was opening. It wasn't the direction that we thought the book was, was going to go, but we did love the way that you are helping to raise awareness that space technology isn't just for the sake of space. It's about improving life here on earth. And we can't wait to hear all about it. And so I think I would love to start off with just asking you what really made you want to sit down and take on this huge undertaking of writing a book about your experiences? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I knew for a fact that I never wanted to do just the the memoir the book that was the memoir of how Nicole became an astronaut, the kind of that step-by-step process and what went on in flight and things. So it took me a while to really put together what my purpose in this was all about. And I'm glad that you were, were surprised. I hope that's because of having read other astronaut books or, you know, even from the title, maybe it was surprising though. I did try to name it in a way that might, you know, might be leading, but I felt like it was really important to share um, how, like you said, all this work that we're doing in space, you know, is is ultimately in one way or another, everything about it is about improving life here on Earth. And, you know, on top of that, we we just have this, especially with, you know, what's going on now on this planet, you know, in this last week or so, in the last couple of years with, you know, what we're dealing with. COVID and this sense of isolation, what we've done on that International Space Station, you know, this mechanical life support system that we've built in space to mimic as best we can what life does here on Earth is just such a great model for how we should all be living like crewmates here on Spaceship Earth and not as passengers. And in in some ways, I think as I was writing it, I was worried like, man, is that an oversimplification in thinking that way? But I don't think so. And I think there's just so much about it. The work that's going on up there, the relationships between the international partners, the way we recognize how we have to work to just survive in that metal can in space, everything about it parallels what we should be doing down here on earth. And then there's such great stories of of the people and the work that's going on in space. And then also our crewmates here on earth that are doing just amazing things in response to some of our greatest planetary challenges. And I felt like it was a nice opportunity to tie all that together. Yeah, that was, it it was great. And like I said, surprising. And there were so many things that, that I had personally never, never thought of before that you really focused my attention on. And I do know that our special guest host, Amelina, had lots of questions. She actually has been reading your book as well, as well as listening to the audiobook. Yay. And she had some questions for you. Amelina, would you like to ask some of your questions? So I have three questions for you. Why do some tests have to be done in space? You know, that's a great question. And I think it, it gets to the, the reason why we even do science in space at all, especially when we're looking at a place like the International Space Station, where what we're orbiting the Earth, you know, 16 times a day. We're in this place where what we call microgravity, where everything floats, right? And so just to go there, At a very basic level, the reason we do the science we do there is because we can take gravity out of the equation. This force that's keeping you in your chair, keeping us all on the planet, does different things to the way things behave here on Earth with gravity than what we can do in space where we take that out of the equation. And it's so cool. I mean, I I always show this picture of 
like floating balls of water, right? Because we're all floating, the way the fluids in our bodies behave, they're floating and behaving differently, all our stuff floats. And so anything you do in space in that environment is going to have this floating aspect to it. And it allows us to have a totally new perspective on it and to learn things about stuff that we thought we knew a whole lot about already, but we can look all different at it and, and discover all kinds of new things that help us. You know, I always use like fuel, it seems kind of like a, a, a strange one, but we have this ginormous like combustion chamber on board the station. And it's this big kind of canister that we put different mixtures of fuels into, and then they burn those fuels in space. And so, you know, here on earth, when you burn a candle, it looks kind of like a teardrop shape. In space, it looks like a ball of flame. And so they can look at how all those different parts of that fuel mix together and behave in a way that we can't do down here on earth that allows us to discover new fuels that will burn cleaner so they won't pollute as much, but also that the mixtures that'll help us, you know, go someplace faster, get out in space faster, or, you know, just more efficiently. And so, but everything you can imagine science-wise we're looking at because you can take gravity out of the equation and learn all kinds of new things. Incredible answer. Okay. What do you think, Amelina? <laughs> That's pretty interesting. I think the most interesting is that we float. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. It's very fun. Highly recommend it. So Andrew or Chad, do you guys have any questions that could top that one? Uh, no questions, but I think uh, an observation <laughs> that, you know, as we look at space shows, Star Wars, Star Trek, any of these things, artificial gravity is always like a foundation of these shows. And you just take it for granted that out in space, you're going to have the same behavior when as you point out, it's, it's clearly not the case that I don't think that unless you sit down and really think about it, you don't really think about it. Right. Yeah. And we, I mean, I think, I think every astronaut that goes to space is awed is like excited by the opportunity to float, to fly in this microgravity environment. But we also understand that as we continue to stay in space longer and longer to travel, like for instance, if we were to leave and go to Mars right now, what are they saying? Eight, nine month trip with the, you know, with the rocket kind of engine technology that we have. And if we do all of that in this floating environment, our, our bodies are really going to pay, pay the price for that, right? We have to come up, we already do it on space station, the countermeasures to that you know, the exercise two hours a day, the, you know, nutritional kinds of aspects to things, all these things about trying to keep our bodies in good shape so that when we get back to gravity, it's we're healthy. And I think as we go further and further and longer and longer, we're absolutely going to have to incorporate some of those rotating spaceships and artificial gravity kinds of um, environments just to stay healthy in that whole process costs a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thinking about that, once you do get back to earth, like you mentioned in the book too, just thinking about holding your head up and having to do that and kind of walking and doing those different pieces. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating. I don't know. It's, it's that, that view you always have. And I watched a video, you know, you're spinning and, you know, zero gravity and yeah. just amazing. It's, uh, it's outstanding. It really is. And, but I'll tell you what, when you get back, you really, it's just this reality, even as you're coming back in, you know, I think in the book, I talk about our commander, like calling out, okay, we're at a 10th of a G, you know, coming in, it's like, oh my gosh, how can that only, because you just feel like you're getting squished down in your seat, you know, and how can that only be a 10th of a G? And then every day down here on earth, we just walk around like it's no big deal. It's just, you know, it's just about how we live in this, this environment. And that's a, I mean, it says a lot about how our bodies just are incredible and adapt, you know, so quickly and well to these new environments in good, you know, and bad ways by adapting. But it also says, you know, there's absolute truth to the fact that we should be getting up out of these chairs and moving around every now and mm -hmm. then, and just reinforcing that way, you know, that way that our bodies need to survive and thrive. And uh, yeah, so that getting out of the chair every now and then is a good thing. Emelina, you could probably show us up running around and staying. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Emelina, <laughs> um, did you have more questions? I, I think you said you had three. What was the first thing you did when you got into space? 
Oh, wow. So from a work side of things, you know, we get into space and then we have to get the spaceship all configured and ready to be, you know, to be there and be safe for us. So, I mean, the first thing that I I did was I had to flick switches and talk to the ground and work with my crew. But the first thing I wanted to do (laughs) when I got to space (laughs) that I finally was able to do after about an hour was to get out of my seat and like float up out of, out of my seat, just like, just just tiny little tap on the, on the, on the bottom of my seat. And you could float up to the top of the, you know, the crew compartment. And the first place you want to go when you float up is to a window. I mean, you absolutely want to get your face in a window and look out and see what it's going to look like. And is it night or day on earth? And just being just like overwhelmed almost by how beautiful our planet is. And looking at it and thinking, and you know this all, you've known this for years, Amelina, like, oh my gosh, we live on a planet. I mean, this kind of thing <laughs> is so incredible, like to have right in your face that way, the reality check of that. And then just to continue in awe of just everything that you're seeing and feeling as you're looking at it. Yeah. And then I couldn't wait to have the opportunity to, to, to phone home and, um, tell my son and my husband all about it. And my, my son, when I flew the first time was only seven years old. So, um, was very excited about figuring out ways to communicate to him how I was feeling, what I was doing and seeing. And it was really nice to have, to be able to, you know, pick up a phone and talk to him about that. Hmm. So what else, Almelina? Yeah. You know, I love having you ask the questions, Almelina, because I'm kind of a fanboy, and I want to ask all these questions, but maybe it's better coming from a nine-year-old. <laughs> from yeah. <laughs> we are all children, right? We all, I mean, that's the thing. I think that's one of those things about space exploration, too, just, and it certainly comes through, like, with, you know, the projects we do with kids and stuff. It is, I think it's inspirational to everyone in one way or another, and then underlying it all, I think it gets everybody just thinking curiously about stuff and you know, about our future and some of that, you know, you already mentioned it, the, you know, Star Trek key kind of thing, like how, how through space exploration, can we really envision, you know, a a positive, beautiful future for all of us. And, um, and a lot of that is thinking as, as a kid, I think just being open to the, the opportunities are out there. So I'm happy you're here too, Amelina. My last question is what was space like? Oh my gosh. Okay. So one word, awesome. (laughs) It really, it really was awesome. And I'll tell you from like every way I can think about it, it was, and I know we use that word a lot, just kind of casually. Oh, that's awesome. You know, but, but I think it totally applies to the work we're doing there, the way we're working with our, our partners from all over the world to do something very positive for, you know, everyone here on earth the adventure side of it for sure that's that's awesome you know riding in a spaceship but i think also the feeling of floating flying i mean that is awesome i mean imagine you can just push from one end of your room to the other and move in all three dimensions just effortlessly that's that's awesome but i really i really think that in the end all of it just in this idea of kind of awe and wonder coming together, it really, it's about that work that we're doing that is really and truly about improving life on earth. I I say it over and over again, because it just, I think for most astronauts, while we, or for anybody that wants to go to space, I'd hope, you know, there is the adventure kind of side of it, but I definitely would not have put myself, strap myself into a rocket with all this, you know, rocket thrust, you know, all this energy underneath me with a seven-year-old son at home. I didn't think where I was going and what I was going to be doing was going to be worthwhile and was going to help him, you know, later in life. And I think that's what space is like to me. It's this place where we really can think about the future and we can have like this cool opportunity to float and fly too. Sounds pretty exciting. Thank you for answering my question. You are welcome. Sometimes the best questions come from kids. Absolutely. Sometimes the hardest questions come come from from kids. kids. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and they see, they'll seem like really simple questions and then, yeah, they're very difficult sometimes. Especially well, I, when they I, throw I, the black hole one at you. I don't have any <laughs> so I love your background there, Nicole. You've got Thanks. the most amazing backdrop. You don't look like one of those snobs with books all in the background to make it look like you're reading and everything. But I'm Clint. They're all on the floor <laughs> over there. No, I, I just, I love your background. Um, Thank you. you. probably have the most diverse set of um, background, I guess, memorabilia of anyone we've had on the show. And for those of you that can't see, because we're obviously an audio program, we've got, looks like a bronze astronaut statue and then a mosaic spacesuit that you painted. Is that right? No, um, this, this spacesuit, which is, this one is called Exploration. This is a suit that's quilted together by the same company, ILC Dover, the spacesuit company that made my spacesuit that I did a spacewalk in. And they made all the suits that did the Apollo, you know, moonwalks and stuff. They quilted together this original artwork from kids all over the world. And most of these kids are in, you know, pediatric cancer centers, refugee centers, orphanages around the world. It's all done as part of the work with the Space for Art Foundation. And it is, I love it as a backdrop and reminds me, you know, I mean, we have this motto at the foundation, which is that we're uniting a planetary community of children through the awe and wonder of space exploration and the healing power of art. And I just, I mean, I just think about all these kids when, um, when I see this behind me and just how beautiful it can be when we bring all of our individual, you know, not just pieces of art, but, you know, thoughts and ideas together, how much prettier and it is when it's all together that way too. Sure. Um, I have a bad habit of asking all the questions. Um, we've got, <laughs> I'm sure Andrew and Chad have much better questions than, than I, but, um, Andrew, Chad, go for it, Chad. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I, and I love that, that piece. I saw another one that you had as well. Um, that was auctioned off and, you know, kind of getting into that with the inspiration crew. Um, was that that same, the same project with the same kids or? It's the same. That was work through the Space for Art Foundation as well, but we supported their mission where we worked. In that case, we worked just with, because Inspiration4 was supportive, is supportive of St. Jude Children's Hospital. We worked directly with them and the kids there. And so um, the, the jackets, we actually created art jackets for the crew members all of the artwork that's on those jackets is from the kids at St. Jude. And then a couple pieces from a couple of the crew members, kids and Cyan Proctor included some art. And then each crew member there's, you know, normally where we have our nameplate on our jackets, we put this little place called the space for art because we're the space for art foundation. Right. So we put this little place called the space for art that was blank. And then every crew member Put, created their own original artwork on the jacket as well. And then each of those jackets was auctioned off and raised money for St. Jude. And they flew in space with the crew. There's really cool video of the crew members, you know, floating around in the dragon capsule with their art jackets on. And yeah, and then it was able to engage the kids in the hospital as well. That was one amazing part throughout your book where you're talking about, because I started to think about, you know, the water and those pieces. And then you started talking about your watercolor. Mm -hmm. You know, you put some water out there and it almost be attracted to the brush and yeah. then it would, you know, get to the, it almost be attracted back to the paper. So where, where is that painting? Do you have that one that you did in the ISS hanging in the house or? I do. I do. There's for about a year and a half, it was on the original was on display at Smithsonian Air and Space, along with my friend Ronnie Wood's brush that I used in space to paint it. I've got a print of it right behind me and I have the original now locked up safe and sound and in hopes that it'll go back to Smithsonian after they get done with their remodel there. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was a cool experience of painting with watercolors in space, both from a personal, just memory side of being in space, but also just thinking about it from the standpoint of, wow, you know, this is the kind of things that humans are going to do. You know, when we, when we explore, we can we, tend to bring our humanity with us. And that includes the stuff we love doing in the place that we consider home. And so it's kind of cool to be able to bring watercolors and paint in space in that floaty environment and, um, and know that my crewmates were there playing musical instruments and, 
you know, drawing <laughs> and writing poetry. And that's been going on since the beginning of Humans in Space. We've always just brought that with us in one way or another. For the for the listeners that haven't had a chance to read your book yet, who are some what? of the, the crewmates? No. <laughs> that I'm sure almost everyone has read it. However, after after our show, at least 10 more people will read it. But at least, yes. <laughs> at least 10 more. Who are some of the, the crewmates that you had? I think it'd be wonderful to to hear who you shared time with in space. Wow. So um, I had the opportunity on my my first flight, I had what I would consider like multiple crews because I went up on the space shuttle discovery with a crew and then they dropped me off and I spent a little over three months on the space station with a you know another kind of changing group of people and then came home with the Atlantis crew, STS-129. And then about a year and a half later, went back to the space station um, with the final flight of Discovery on STS-133. And so all kinds of people. The interesting thing about it, I think, with where we are right now is that this isn't just us, you know, like from the U.S. flying with just U.S. crew members, right? On my first flight up, we had a Swedish astronaut, Christopher Fuglsang, with us, you know, that was part of that crew. And then we joined up on station with representatives from our five international space program partners who across the board represent 16 different countries all at once as one crew on that station. And so, uh, you know, our Russian crewmates, European, Canadian, we were missing Japanese at the time, but we always are representing them up there. And I think it's just kind of cool to think about how we have just so peacefully, successfully brought this international partnership together, you know, working as one crew on, on the space vehicle itself, but then also, you know, with tens of thousands of people on earth across those programs supporting too. I don't know if you wanted individual names or and then that would be a test I'd have to remember. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then Kevin Ford yeah. would say, why'd you forget me? Be, yeah. <laughs> the Oscar who's, who's the funniest right? person you spent time with in space. Oh my gosh. The funniest person. Quite a, everybody was hysterical in one way or another, but I would say um, probably Roman Romanenko, one of the um, Russian cosmonauts. Just, I have, and there's so much like visual comedy that would come from him uh, when we would do crew photos or kind of joking around. He he would do it where you could, if you took the pictures and, you know, did the little, you know, the corner of the paper flip thing, you'd have like the slideshow of him making like different <laughs> poses and faces and every picture, just, just a funny guy. I can imagine you've got to find ways to entertain yourself in space. You know, you're in this environment and you're there for such a long time. Well, you hope for a long time, Yeah. but you know, are you always busy or is there always something to do or do you have a lot of downtime? I mean, you are busy and the ground schedule in here, like in five minute increments, right? Throughout the workday and stuff. And so, um, well, I wish I could do. get five minutes of work out of these. I guys. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, you're living there too, especially from a space station mission standpoint, where you're there for months at a time, you get into this, just like we do at home, kind of this daily routine of, okay, I get up in the morning, I have my breakfast time, I roll into work, I have lunch, you know, meals and sleep and all of that are, you know, kind of part of the routine. And, but we spend, I mean, we spend a lot of time, it's usually kind of in the dinner time after, before going to bed um, timeframe floating in front of the window. I mean, if, if you have free time, a majority of that is going to be in one way or another fine in your face in front of a window to just suck that view in, take pictures, video, you know, calling our families, making, making that contact, which is so nice that we can do that from the space station, you know, that pretty much anytime there's good satellite coverage to be able to, to phone home really, you know, kind of working to share the experience with the people that we care about, you know, down on earth. And, but there's not a lot of free time. There's not a lot of it, but, um, but we try to, you know, try to fill that with the stuff we would enjoy doing on earth too, and then add views out the window of earth. That's probably the most compelling thing that we're doing, bouncing our heads around <laughs> off each other, looking out the window. Pushing each other out of the way to yeah, get the view. Right, yeah, right. yeah, 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 definitely. Get the shot. definitely. 
So burning question, considering there's a five minute schedule, but how long does it take to vacuum the ISS? Oh. Wow. That's, I mean, we plan sections of the station across the weekends for that. And then, you know, also kind of cleaning up is that, that routine of just cleaning up as you go becomes really important because everything floats. You have to be so organized. I mean, Velcro is definitely your friend. I mean, we even have it on our pants. Our pants have like strips of the, of the pile on it. So you can just stick your tools to it, stick your flashlight, your pencil, you know, whatever you need to your pants and float around and, but vacuuming is interesting because it does, it takes a long time. So we break up the kind of housekeeping stuff over the weekends. And then as we go, just, just to like try home. to, yeah. I was about to yeah. say, it's just like yeah. being, being home. It is. <laughs> just like it Earth is. there. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, I always like to add like in space. Okay. I'm cleaning the toilet. In space. In space. So, yeah, a lot okay. better. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds way better. <laughs> like the fortune cookie thing. Yeah. yeah. What do you think is like, if you could look back on your entire time in space and say, you know, this is the thing that I'm most proud of that I was a part of in my trips to space. What do you think that would be? Wow. I, well, I think like anything, I think it comes down to the people that you're sharing it with. Right. And I just am so proud of the way that with the crews that I had the opportunity to work with, we just really worked so nicely together. And everybody just had this positive attitude about the work we were doing, the the way that was going to, again, help improve life on earth. We talked about that a lot in space. And I think that, you know, in the end, it's that partnership, the relationships we developed and um, as we did this work, just in this kind of unique environment. I was going to say, it's so interesting how that sense of community and how humans are such social creatures that it it really creates that bond and that sense of connection and shared goal. Yeah. It's I, and that's why, you know, just in the, in the book as well, I hope that comes through because mm -hmm. it's just such an amazing example. I mean, it's not insignificant that, you know, for over 20 years, we've been in this place together, you know, continue, not just continuous human presence in space, but continuous human presence representing essentially the whole planet somehow. <laughs> you know, how in, in space together doing this. And I hope we're reflecting on that a little bit right now too, you know. What's it like to be a member of such a small, unique club of people that have experienced this? It's funny because I think while you're in the middle of it, you're not really thinking about the numbers, how small a group of people this is, you know, in the grand scheme of history of human presence on the planet and stuff. But then on the other hand, when you have like have these conversations and you know that there are so many people that would love to have this same opportunity, right? To, to experience this, to, to work in that place, to be awed by it, you know, the way we are. I think I, I just feel they're like gratitude, blessed, you know, all those things that how in the world did that, you know, work out for me to have that opportunity. And I think it's why you know, it's important to have these kinds of conversations as well, to know that we have an obligation to try to share the experience in as many ways as possible so that people, whether they end up having the chance to go to space or not, they, they, can, they can kind of reflect on the experience through us and maybe get something out of it that leads to something positive for them here on earth as well. And that's, I mean, to your original question about the book, I mean, that's what I really want people to do. I want them to latch on to something, even if it's just one tiny little thing in that book that like motivates their own call to action as earthlings, as crewmates, and for them to find that place for themselves. Yeah. That's what one thing thinking back to the book too, is something along the lines of, well, what could I do? Said 7 billion people, Yeah, you know, if you <laughs> think about that. it from that side. I love like... that. Yeah. <laughs> Which was not my line. That was through yeah, Rowan. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, when she said that, when I was talking to her, I'm like, that is such a powerful way to, to think about it, you know, mm -hmm. because 7 billion is such a mind boggling number as it is. Right. And then when you try to, when you put it in place that way, it's like, yeah, you know, that it just kind of gives us the power to, to take action. Um, and to know that, you know, imagine if all 7 billion did. Yeah. 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 You know, with such a unique small club and camaraderie that definitely comes back, um, you know, 
it comes through in your book, um, Back to Earth. You know, I also think about if I could take the the conversation in a little more serious direction. You know, recently we've had the events around the world with Russia and Ukraine and NATO, and suddenly, you know, this place that's been a place of peace and cooperation has become a little more tense. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on on how things are are developing in this arena as well. You know, and the simplest just makes me so sad to think that this had to be the choice of by whomever right. to feel like they're pushing. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what the rationale for it could be. Even before this all went down, one of the things that all of us, like on station as a crew, all of us across, you know, the different astronaut and cosmonaut communities, across all of the program you know, support people, those tens of thousands around the world that are working on this program uh, with the space station. And, and I would say with space exploration in general is that one of the really beautiful things about it has been this way that we've, we've managed to do this peacefully and successfully for so long, right? To be this example, to get to know each other and want to continue that relationship and that one of the like very positive outcomes of it with the work going on in space is that down here on earth i think those relationships have tempered you know have helped us in these other areas and i'm just i mean i've been praying every day that that's going to continue to be the case that this you know this way we've discovered we can work together in a, a pretty complex env- environment of <laughs> right. you know off the planet in space can be a model for us in, um, in these situations as well. And it may not be the ultimate thing, but hopefully there's you know some little twinkle of it on the you know peripheral of whoever is having to have these conversations about where all this goes, that that it's kept in mind and used as a, I don't know, this is just a rambling kind of hopeful way of saying, I, I mean, I, that I really do hope that it can have some, some influence on it. I'd love to be like a little fly on the wall in the station now, hearing the conversations that are going on there because I'd have to believe it's it's you know them looking at each other like what the heck you know how do we how do we help in this because for people to see the way we're working together it really seems like people are being forced into a scenario within the international space station that maybe they for sure they wouldn't normally be in in more of a tense environment and yeah. it's always been such a symbol of international cooperation i mean uh, as andrew always reminds us we even let the canadians put canada arm <laughs> Never lets us forget. Which is a beautiful Canada tool, arm. by the way. Yeah, yeah. No. Riding and flying that thing. I was going to say the International Space Station is just like a big backpack, and you got to have the Canadian flag on there when you're traveling around. Yep. Yep. It works. Andrew and I'll tell you, I got to fly. In, so, Bob, you know, Bob yeah. Thirsk was one of my Go Canada things. You know, Bob Thirsk was one of my crewmates on the station flight. And wow, what a again, I can use the word awesome. What an awesome, thoughtful, humble guy, you know, somebody you just, you want to be in space with. I mean, just really, and down here sharing the planet with as well. And so thankful to have been there with him. Yeah. He's pretty funny too. And a very, I've got a picture of him, you know, you asked about funny crewmates. Once a month we would do haircuts on station. <laughs> and for me, that was really about like, I'd put my hair in a ponytail and he'd, you know, they'd snip like a, you know, wet with a little like snip an inch off the end. And, you know, you're using that vacuum hose while you're cutting hair because okay. you don't want that stuff all yeah. floating around <laughs> and the shaver thing and stuff. And I've got this really great picture of Bob that I think um, probably Jeff Williams took where Bob's standing behind me. He's got scissors and the clippers that have the hose on him. And he's got this like, you know, (laughs) almost Dr. Evil face on him. Like he's going to do something (laughs) horrific with my hair, but yeah, just another side of the personality, I suppose, but great guy. I love when you talk about uh, a couple of times, the, the pictures that you've taken and, you know, when you were talking about taking pictures from space and becoming a photographer by necessity in that case. And I just wonder about all of the pictures that we never see as members of the general public that all of you have. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, you know, Andrew has great coffee table pictures. I'm like the coffee table pictures for an astronaut just have to be amazing. Even all of those that didn't quite make the cut to get into the public view. I bet they're awesome. 
It's one of, I, I mean, and I think we all try our best to, to photo document in some way the experience, whether that's looking out the window or of our crewmates and things. And it's funny because as those pictures get sent down from onboard station, there's somebody down on the ground going through them and deciding, okay, this chunk of them is going to go onto the public site. This is going to go into the archives. These are not releasable for whatever, <laughs> for whatever reason. Let's start there. Let's start there. <laughs> what are not releasable you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of them, like, you know, that you might not, you know, you're floating through the module and it's just like a shot of your rear end going through. Yeah, you don't really want that out there. And thankfully, somebody's, you know, looking out for you that way. But, you know, some of the stuff that originally is classified as not releasable, we actually post-flight went through and said, hey, this is a picture of us as a crew enjoying our time and space. You should enjoy yourself there, right? And and it's not that we're being unprofessional. We're just enjoying ourselves there and we're trying to share the experience, you know, with our kids or with the you know, group of people who might have, you know, sent us t-shirts or something, you know. And so we made a point of trying and did get, you know, some of those things released. And one that comes to mind, actually a couple we did had Halloween in space. So we all scavenged around the wow. station to put together our costumes and things. Who dressed and, up as the astronaut? <laughs> so I had what I made a skirt out of. It's this big, wide skirt, this bronze colored, like mylar material that was a, a, a thermal cover on the the Japanese cargo vehicle. And we had to remove that to be able to open the hatch and stuff. And it had this perfect circular thing. And it just made this beautiful flowing skirt kind of thing. And I don't know, Bob Thirsk found this jacket and, you know, his family had sent him those goofy teeth kind of thing. So he had this jacket and teeth. And I mean, it was just all, all kinds of stuff. And at first they didn't want to release those. And I'm like, this is we were doing costumes. We had a costume contest with the mission control people. We carved an orange instead of a pumpkin. You know, I mean, this is stuff people should see, like humans being human <laughs> in space. And then we have one of all of us in our, our blue, you know, flight suits that have like the flag across the front. All of us get one of those. It's kind of our formal wear in space. And this was during a time where um, Guy La Liberté, from another Canadian, uh, owner, founder, Cirque du Soleil had flown to the station, spent 10, 12 days there, and we're all floating in different directions, and we have clown noses on. And he brought those to us. I mean, he considers himself a clown, the whole Cirque du Soleil thing. And we had these clown noses on, and they did not want to release any of these pictures of us with the clown noses on. I'm like, oh my gosh, why? It's one of my very favorite pictures that I show. And it gets to that whole thing of you should, you want to be the best crews are the ones where there's personality, right? Mm -hmm. You can enjoy yourself doing, even if it's a really complex thing, you know, you're going to enjoy yourself. And then at the same time, when I show that picture, I tell people, I'm like, I knew without a doubt that when things hit the fan or if they did, every single person in that picture was going to have my back. And they trusted I would have theirs, noses on or not. You know, that was just just the understanding of who those people were and that you were with and in this place. And why can't you show a floaty picture with red cloud noses on? <laughs> why not? <laughs> It sounds like so much fun, but I know that you all have accomplished so much on the space station. And I'm a kid that grew up with Velcro and Tang and everything that a kid loves. I think also from a, a perspective of medicine, um, you know, I think we've learned so much and science and engineering. We've just made so many advances that you hear all of the 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 people in the world that say, stop spending money on space and spend it here on Earth. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's a classic question, but I don't think it ever gets tired. And, you know, what would you say to those people that, that say, maybe we should refocus where we're spending our money instead of spending it on space? I wouldn't want to have an argument with them, but I would <laughs> like to spend some time with them. And, and that's come up recently a lot with, you know, because of some of the new companies out there that are, you know, starting to do some suborbital stuff, orbital flights. And at this point in time, only people who can afford it are able, you know, to do this. So this this argument that you know, why are these billionaires spending all their money 
sending people, you know, to space for five minutes and back when they should be solving the problems here on earth. I think the thing that comes to me immediately is that everything those people are doing, these are like the baby steps, right? You know, Bezos sending a capsule to up suborbital and back with however many people on that vehicle. Those are the baby steps to getting to the point where we can, like you guys talked about in the beginning with the sci-fi becoming sci-fact actually, is how do we get to the point where we can lift the industrial stuff that's going on that's causing so much trouble off the planet into the benign environment of space and sustainably manage it there on behalf of, of the whole population of the planet, right? And all of what's gone on, I, I heard a story the other day, somebody said to me, they're like, yeah, I was talking to this guy that otherwise I would have thought really understood things. <laughs> And we were talking about space and I was trying to relate to him, you know, all of the, you know, the different benefits that come from space, whether it's communication, you know, what, you know, what's on your phone, medical, all of it. And uh, we started talking about, you know, navigation. And I said to the guy, well, what about, you know, GPS and, you know, the way we navigate now and everything He's like, I don't know GPS and satellites from space. I've got my phone. and he couldn't believe it he's like really is that what this person just said and it's this disconnect right we're so used to this just being now this like package i'm holding my phone in my hand this packaged box of information and navigation and you know connection that we forget where that's all coming from and it's embedded all of what's happening in space that's that's about this idea you know improving life on earth is just embedded in everything we do every day not to mention that it's the, it's the greatest source of information for us with respect to really measuring kind of the vital signs of our planet and understanding what's going on here and putting us in a place where we can understand it in a way to actually come up with the solutions for those problems as well yeah well Nicole, I think, you know, we're getting close to the end of our, our time here, and you've been so gracious to to give us the amount of the time that you have so far. But your book is just, um, your book, Back to Earth, um, has been a real eye-opener to me, eye-opener to Chad and Andrew, and of course, our guest host, Amelina, as well. We've learned a lot from your book, but if you could point to the audience where your book may help them understand something new or different or gain a new perspective, what would you tell them would be the most important thing that you hope they take away from your book, Back to Earth? Wow. Well, I I, I hope that really and truly in the simplest way, I hope that they walk away with a call to action of their own based on some insight that comes from, from here in the book. But I hope they'll they'll reflect on probably the greatest lessons I had from that experience, you know, going to space, all the complexity of it. And yet really coming back to earth with, with this visceral in me, not going to ever leave me understanding of the fact that we live on a planet, you know, we're all earthlings, only border that matters, that thin blue line of atmosphere that blankets and protects us all. And that our ultimate role in all of this is really and truly to accept that we need to be crewmates and not passengers here on Spaceship Earth. I think that that little package of things is what overlies everything, all of the stories um, in this book. And I still hope you'll read it, but um, because there's other nuggets, but (laughs) they will read it. The message. Yeah, they will read it. And after the show, we will put a link on our website where they can go to Audible or Amazon or wherever they need to go to be able to to find your book. But again, thank you, Nicole Stott, thank you. author of Back to Earth, astronaut and amazing person. Thank you so much for being on the show. And we were glad to have you. Yeah, thank My you. Pleasure. Nicole. Yeah, great to meet all three of you. And very, very nice to have Amelina as a special host today. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> What a pleasure having Nicole on the show. It was, as she said, awesome. And this is the dictionary definition of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of throughout the whole thing, like we mentioned in the beginning, this could have kept going and going. Uh, Fascinating stories from her. You know, and living out in Florida near the Kennedy Space Center, you would think that I've met a ton of astronauts, but this is the first time I've ever met an astronaut. And as you guys know, I've always 
wanted to be an astronaut um, for various reasons and all logical. They wouldn't let me be an astronaut. However, it was amazing to meet Nicole today. The secret is, Clint, when the astronauts tell you they all meet at this Starbucks, they actually go to Tim Hortons. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right there you know, were but, a lot of talks of canadians up there that you uh, spend time with they just come up here and have coffee at timmy's <laughs> you know it's too bad i couldn't go to space you know in her book uh nicole said that she actually was an inch and a half taller after she got back from space like yeah, i could use a little more height yeah i could use yeah, a little more height that yeah. Yeah. When she was talking about floating and just, you know, gently pushing off, all I could just picture is the three of us shoving ourselves off the yeah. seats and just <laughs> smacking our heads. It's like that one rule they give you. Don't push too hard once yeah, you yeah, unbuckle. Yeah. You know, I've never been accused of being nimble and graceful. I can just imagine a guy my size on the International Space Station tumbling <laughs> like a big pretzel, just knocking crap everywhere. Clint would hit the red button by accident, for sure. <laughs> Don't send Clint to space. Well, Andrew, the red button on the space station is the toilet, right? Uh, okay. In that case, you might <laughs> want to hit the red button. Yeah, and it was great having Amelina on the show. Kids think of questions that like, I never even dream of thinking about, but they also think of, like Nicole said, some of the best questions, the ones that are the hardest to answer. Yeah, and the most straightforward, but the hardest to answer. It's like you almost try to think about questions too hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask her, what's it like in space? Um, but I wasn't going to dare. I wanted to make <laughs> sure that Amelina had the chance to that one. But I can't imagine anything that would be a more rewarding line of work than getting to accomplish, you know, great research in space. But at the same time, it's just an amazing personal experience as well. Totally is. And being part of that, you know, that that small group of people that have done it. I mean, not much more you can say. Yep. Well, at least the Canadians got a uh, a nice little plug there. It's great to have Canadians on the space station. Apparently, they're nice and funny. And we're going to be on the moon, too. Don't worry. You'll see us there. Is, is the arm going to the moon as well? I mean, is it just the... <laughs> yeah, I hope arm, Dexter, maybe even the Dexter 2.0, whatever he'll be called or she'll be called. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I'm just, I'm thrilled to have had Nicole on the show. And if you don't own the book already, go out and buy Back to Earth by Nicole Stott, What Life in Space Taught Me About Our Home Planet and Our Mission to Protect It. We're going to put a link up on the Space and 60 website. Go to spaceand60.com where you can find a link to Nicole's book. But thank you all for listening and having Nicole on the show. And the Art Friend Foundation? Yes. Get the, the link of the Art. Space for Art Foundation. Space for and Art Foundation. The Space for Art Foundation. There will be a link for all of it. And there will be no awkward pauses on our website. That's just for you listeners. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space in 60, where new space speaks. Space in 60.